The story of how God began to use Saul in Damascus and then in Jerusalem is one of the most powerful transformation stories of all time. Turn to Acts chapter 9 verses 19 and following with our study leader Dave Watson and let's discover how Jesus blinded Paul's eyes but when he opened them he also opened this young rabbi's mouth to powerfully prove that Jesus Christ was God's son the Messiah of Israel. I think probably one of the most powerful stories of transformation in our culture has been Nixon's hatchet man. Chuck Colson was a brown-trained lawyer, and he uh, rose up through, he was very successful doing that, going to an Ivy League school, and then he got into politics, really rose in Republican circles, and became one of the renowned people in the Nixon administration, right up in the White House and right at the jaws of power. All of you know, when you think of Nixon, you think of Watergate. And so uh, Chuck swore that he knew nothing about Watergate, but he ended up going to prison because in the course of Nixon's campaign, he slandered a political opponent so that Nixon would be able to get elected and push the campaign forward. And so Chuck ended up in prison. Before he went to prison, however, there was a... How many of you are in business? whole bunch of you. There's a ton of you that are in business, okay? There was a man just like yourself, and this man was a businessman, but he knew Jesus. And he believed in the power of transformation. And before Chuck went to prison, in the midst of the jaws of that Watergate scandal, even before things really began to break, this man began to talk to Chuck about what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus, that you could receive forgiveness because Jesus died on the cross and that Jesus rose again. And slowly but surely, not just Sunday morning, but in the flow of a developing relationship, this man shared Jesus. And before Chuck went to prison, one night, this businessman went over, our Chuck came to visit him, and in the evening, Chuck received Christ as his Savior. The Lord used his time in prison. He and his friend prayed that he wouldn't have to go to prison. Sometimes our heavenly daddy doesn't answer our prayers the way we think. Chuck did end up in prison. But in the book, Born Again, he showed how all of prison fellowship grew out of the time that Chuck spent incarcerated. Chuck Colson's transformation right here in our midst today is producing incredible increase and development and multiplication in the body of Christ. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9 because we want to talk about probably one of the most incredible transformations that ever took place. It's even more powerful than what happened to Chuck Colson. In Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 19, the second part, we go on with the story of Saul of Tarsus. Just to fill you all in, so you'll all be clear on this story, Saul was a rabbinically trained young Jew. He was trained as the leading scholar of his day. He was so zealous for the law of Moses that he thought the followers of Jesus were blasphemers. He thought they should be thrown into prison. He was just powerful in doing that. Remember in Acts, the beginning of Acts chapter 9, he got a letter from the high priest in Jerusalem to go up to Damascus, and the Jews have spread up, especially the believers that were Jewish from Jerusalem. They tried to escape the persecution in Jerusalem. They went into Damascus, and this young zealot says, I'm going to go and get them. But on the way, just before he got to Damascus, he was struck down to the ground, and the Lord Jesus blinded him with a great light. 
And he said, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. And then Ananias, one of the followers of Jesus, came to Saul while he was blinded, praying and fasting for three days. And Ananias came and Saul of Tarsus went from being committed as a Jew to the law of Moses to one that realized that all of the Old Testament pointed to the Messiah, Jesus. And that the one that he thought was a blasphemer was truly telling the truth. He was the Son of God. Now, that's the big choice that the book of Acts is presenting before us. Jesus isn't just some nice religious teacher. You can't put him alongside other nice religious teachers. you got to decide what you're going to believe about him. And when you trust in him, when you believe in him, there's incredible transformation that takes place. And Acts 9 goes on with a story. Here's this man that knew the Old Testament cold. As soon as he met Jesus, he began to put it all together, and he goes out immediately in Damascus, the city where he was going to arrest Christians. He's now going out in the synagogues, and he is debating and presenting powerfully that Jesus is a fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament. Look what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 19b. We'll begin there. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So he's joining with the followers of Christ. All a disciple is, is someone that's trusted in Jesus, believed that he died on the cross, he rose again, and they now are following him. So Saul now identifies with the group that he'd come to persecute. And what he does is he joins with these believers. He also has an outreach. It says he began to preach. And that's not just like what you do on Sunday morning. All the word preach means, it means to proclaim. And there's strength in that proclamation. All of you can do it. And Saul is doing that. It's not like he's standing up before large audiences. He's going in. It says here he goes into the synagogue. So there were many different synagogues, large Jewish population in Damascus. And Saul is going into all the synagogues. And what is he doing? He's saying that Jesus, Jesus was the Son of God. It's the first thing I want you to underline. Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, here's the power of transformation. Isn't this the man who who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? So the idea of calling in the name, it means you call on Jesus, believe he's the son of God, you're trusting in him. And now the man that was totally against that is now exhorting people and pleading with people to make that decision. And having he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests, yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and they baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And, and Dr. Luke, who wrote this section, he began by giving us the content of Saul's message that he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, and he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. The Christ, that's what the word Christ means. Now, those two things are related. First of all, let's think about the synagogues. I want you to think about the settings where you present Jesus. And some of you might have the idea that we should talk about Jesus only like on Sunday morning in a nice building like this, and that Jews will go to their synagogues and Islamic people will go to their mosque, and and that's the way it is. I want you to see that that's not at all the story that Acts is telling. In fact, at this particular time, Saul is a committed Jew, but he's a Jew now that believes that Jesus is a fulfillment of all the Old Testament stories, of all the Old Testament promises. In our own church family, we tried to lay a foundation that you understand that the Old Testament is giving you one clue after another that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And what, the reason we did that is because that's what Dr. Luke is telling you that, that Saul was doing in the synagogue. He was going from the Old Testament, and he would prove, number one, that Jesus was the Son of God. You see, in the Old Testament, for example, the book of Isaiah, it'll say that the children of Israel are the sons and daughters of God. So the nation was viewed as a son and daughter of God. But the Old Testament also says an incredible thing. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, the Lord God of heaven says to King David, I'm going to give you an heir. There is going to be a Davidic king, and it will never fail. And he, in other words, David has made an incredible promise that as a king, he's going to produce a line that will last forever. The Old Testament continues to develop that story of this anointed son of David. And that's why when you study the Christmas story, it makes such a big deal that he's born in Bethlehem, that he is born in the tribe of Judah, that he's a son of David. And what Saul is saying in the debates in the synagogue, he's saying that Jesus is the son that God said would be an eternal son of David. The second thing that Saul would debate about in the synagogues is in Psalm chapter 2, it talks about all the nations raging. How many of you have ever wondered throughout your whole lifetime, it seems like we have a time of peace and then everything comes unglued again and the nations are fighting and there's constant warfare. Like we're in Afghanistan, we're in Iraq and you get through one battle and then you got to start another one. Psalm 2 asks the question, what do the nations rage? And the people of the earth have all these empty plans. At the culmination, at the crisis point in Psalm 2, verse 7, God says this. The Lord God in heaven laughs at all this tumult. It says, I will appoint my king. And he says this. He says to a son of David, you are my son. Today, I am installing you as the king. Today, I've begotten you is the way that it phrases. The idea is, today, I'm placing you as the king that is the ruler of the earth. What Saul is saying when he talked about Jesus being the son of God, he is saying that he is God's son, fully equal to God, and the one that's gonna rule over all the earth. If you say, Dave, I don't really believe that, we're studying the book of Acts. The other book that Dr. Luke wrote is Luke the Gospel. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22 because this idea of Jesus being the Son of God is how Jesus ended up being crucified. Some of you ask, like, why in the world would Jesus of Nazareth put on the cross? Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 66. Look at it. This is real important. And this is how you put together the Word of God. In Acts, it talks about Paul proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Where did that come from? Well, look at Luke chapter 22, verse 66. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people. That would be the Jewish elders. This is the morning after they arrested Jesus in Gethsemane. They gather both the chief priests and the teacher of the law. They all get together, and Jesus was led before them. So this is like a trial. It says, if you are the Messiah, that's the word Christ. So Luke is telling you, what is Saul proclaiming in the synagogues? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Jesus was on trial, and the high priest is looking at him and saying, if you are the Messiah, that's what the word Christ means, then tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand 
of the mighty God. Jesus is saying, I'm a human being, but in the future, you're going to see me at the power and position in the universe. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is claiming in his trial, I am the Messiah. And you're going to see me someday. You might reject me now. In fact, they're going to put him on a cross. But someday you're going to see me at the power and position in all the universe. It goes on. They all ask, are you then the son of God? They ask him point blank. Jesus, are you the son of God? Are you the promised one from the Old Testament? Are you the one that's fully equal to God? Notice how Jesus responds. You are right in saying that I am. They said, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard enough from his own lips. This is the choice. The Jewish Sanhedrin, in Jesus' trial, they asked Jesus two questions. Are you the Messiah and are you the Son of God? How did Jesus answer those questions? He said, I am. And that's the choice you need to make. The choice that the real Jesus gives to you is not the choice that a lot of Americans and a lot of people in our culture think. That I can say Jesus is a nice teacher. He gives me nice ethical principles that I can live by. He gives me nice sweet comfort. And I can pray to him and all that kind of stuff. He's just a nice, comfortable teacher. Jesus won't let you do that. This morning, you need to ask yourself, who do I think Jesus, that was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, who do I think he is? Because the first century evidence says this. Jesus says, I'm the one that fulfilled all the promises in the Jewish scriptures about a coming anointed one. And the second thing is, I'm the one that God was talking about in Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. I've installed you as the ruler over the nations. Saul went into the synagogues, and that's what he was talking to people about. He was showing them from the Jewish scriptures. So you can't make Jesus nice for Christians but not needed for other people. That's why we have members of our church that grew up here that are over in the Middle East. It's why Nate is in Thailand. Because we want to go, and we could go on and on. We want to have a passion. But I want you to ask yourself this morning, what's the setting in life where you can get into discussions, you can get into conversations about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? that you can help people to begin to understand that he's not just a good teacher, but you can begin to share your relationship with Jesus. Just like that businessman began, all he did was befriend Chuck Colson, and he started sharing with him and clarifying to him who Jesus was. Right now, I want you to ask, Saul used the synagogues of his day. What are you going to use? And what I want you to know is that in the book of Acts, Jesus wasn't locked up Sunday morning. He wasn't locked up in churches. He wasn't someone that just preachers spoke about. And one of my passions is I want every one of you to go into your police departments. I want you to go in your firehouses. I want you to go into your schools. I want you teachers when you're on lunch break. I want those of you that are nurses, those of you that are doctors, those of you are in the hospitals. I want you to bring Jesus right into your marketplace. Those of you that work for the cement plant, there's a lot of guys in big industry. They have no idea who Jesus is. Some of them have been turned off in the past. They've had somebody that disappointed them. They got turned off by religion. There's a lot of guys and girls that their parents made them go to a place. They had, they had no idea how it connected to anything. They asked some questions, and then they were turned off. I want you to go out this week and realize 
we might not be able to have a lot of synagogues we go into, although some of us might have that opportunity because you might be working with some Jewish people. Some of you are working with Islamic people this coming week. I want you to have a purpose that you're realizing that Saul not only did this in the first century, but we can do it today. So what's your synagogue? What's my setting in life? Where am I going to share? I want to give you great courage. Like last week, it was a camp in Montana. You know, we were called to the Spirit to go where it was 40 at night. Just kidding, but it was a blast up there. But we were at a family camp. We had little tiny babies, and we had a man in his 90s who caught the biggest trout. And he was an old retired doctor. He caught like an 18-incher, which is a good-sized trout. It was a blast. But we had everything in between. When I opened it up for sharing... There were four adults that received Christ as their Savior last week. So the transformation that I'm telling you that happened to Saul happened just last week. And one of the ones I remember as they shared was a dear young mom. And I'd seen her with her kids having a blast. Her kids were riding horses. But she shared with the group, she said, you know, I've come here. And I'd sit looking at these beautiful mountains. I'd look at that incredible Boulder River. And I knew that God created the river and those mountains, that incredible beauty. But I felt I could never please him. I could never be good enough. I could never overcome the bad things I did. And and I just knew in my soul that I really wanted to be connected with this incredible creator, but I couldn't do it. She said, this week, I realized Jesus died and he took the penalty from me. And I don't need to feel guilty anymore. And I also have learned Jesus rose again from the death. And he came to live inside of me. And now I know that the creator of the rivers and the mountains is my father. That's transformation. And that's what was so important. It was really neat. Some of you that are younger couples, there was a whole, especially guys, after the meetings, one guy after another says, I want to learn more about this. And ask me questions so that their, their kids would come and pull it on daddy. Daddy, come on, we need to go shooting. We need to go horseback riding. And the dad says, well, we're going to have to talk later because I really want to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. God is transforming lives today. And I want you to know that that's happening right here in our midst. And it can happen this morning. I want the Holy Spirit, even as I'm speaking, to, to, to help you to understand you've got synagogues. You've got those settings in life where you can share Christ. Now, what happens to Saul? What's going to happen to Jesus Christ? Well, some people are going to respond to you, and you're going to become your dear brothers and sisters. Other people are going to hate your guts, and they're going to persecute you. And you need to just be ready for that. That's just the way it goes, and you don't hate them, but, but this is big dividing stuff. So look what it says here. It says that after many days, in verse 23, after many days had gone by. This would be about a year and a half to three years. In Galatians chapter 1, it tells us that Paul goes out and he ministers among the kingdom of Aretas, which is the kingdom of the Arabs. It goes all the way from Damascus all the way down to where Petra is in the southern part that I've told you about that you've all looked at when you saw the rose city in the red ears of the lost ark. Saul, for about a year and a half to three years, because Jews would just take a part of a year as a full year, So it could be anywhere from a year and a half to three full years. Saul is preaching. I know that he was having an effective ministry because the king of this area is really cognizant of what Saul is doing, so much so that he's ready to attack him in the city of Damascus. And that's what leads to this next part. So Luke, like a good, focused teacher, 
doesn't tell us all about that three years. He focuses on Saul's ministry in Damascus. But I want you to know, according to the book of Galatians, his, his ministry among the Nabataeans and Aretas' kingdom is a little bit longer. It says this, the Jews in the city of Damascus conspired together to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. God protected him, so Saul learned about his plan. And day and night, his enemies kept watching the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers, those that had joined Saul in the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, they took him by night and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So here's the idea. There's, this is a walled ancient city. There's gates that go to the south, to the north, to the east, and the west. His enemies are watching all those gates and they're going to grab him as soon as he's out of the gates, as soon as he's out from underneath the protection, and they're going to kill him. But the Lord protects him. And his dear brothers and sisters in Christ, everyone's living on the wall. If you go to Jerusalem Sunday, you can see the old Jerusalem city. Lots of people living on the wall. And so after some time, probably, you know, fellowshipping, they say, Saul, we got, we got to get you out of here. And it's a marvelous story that some of you have heard when you're a kid. They lower him down in a basket, and Saul goes down to the south to Jerusalem. Now, I would at this point would say, hey, Lord Jesus, this isn't working out so good, man. I just got lowered over the wall in a basket. I think I'm going to stop telling about Jesus, not Saul. He goes to Jerusalem. Now, remember, the last time he was in Jerusalem, he was persecuting believers. He was throwing them in jail. So how do you think the church was going to respond to him? And this is real important because one of the hardest things that some believers are having not unbelievers, but some believers, like in the next few weeks, there's going to be people that have just moved to Midlothian. I've noticed this morning coming back, I've been able to shake hands with some folks that are, that are relatively new, that I haven't seen before. One of the biggest things the evil one is doing is making it hard to get connections. And Saul of Tarsus had one of the biggest problems. Can you imagine how hard it would be to walk in the doors of Midlothian Bible Church, and you were the one that had imprisoned several of the family members of the people sitting here? Now, if some of you are visiting and you think the church is cold, the Jerusalem church was really cold. Look what it says here. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So Saul that's been preaching... Up in Damascus, and people are really responding. He, he's been persecuted for Christ. Now he tries to join the mother church down in Jerusalem. Man, they say, forget it. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Some of you are like that. Some of you are cynical. You don't believe that people can change. And I want you to know that the Bible's honest about that. You know what the Jerusalem church is thinking? It's like when I used to go behind the Iron Curtain when the wall was up, the church behind the Iron Curtain was very cynical in a lot of ways because there were a lot of infiltrators. The communists would actually put people in the church to make sure they knew what the preacher was saying. So, man, you know, you'd say, shh, you never know when someone's listening, like big brothers listen. They were cynical. They always thought, and that's what the Jerusalem thought. They thought Saul was infiltrating the Jerusalem church so he could write down on his first century parchment scroll, his first century iPod, he could get all the names of everybody. They're going to throw them all in jail. Now, this is what's needed. When it's hard to get into the body of Christ, the local expression of the body of Christ, this is what we need. Barnabas, he's the one that gave the money from Crete and the one before Ananias and Sapphira were struck down. This is an incredible man of encouragement. 
He's also going to become the man that becomes Saul's closest associate in one of the first missionary ventures. But look at his spirit. But Barnabas took him. That's what we need. I want somebody to pray. We need Barnabases, both men and women, that in our church family are looking for the deer that looks like they're caught in the headlights. They can't get in. I talked to a lady after first service that's trying to get connected. She's moved to the area. She's, she's, she's a believer, but she's looking around. She's trying to find a home. And I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will create in our midst many Barnabases that will take them. They take the initiative. And they bring them. They brought them to the leaders. That would be the apostles. And he told them Saul's testimony, how he met the Lord. I had seen the Lord. And that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had proclaimed fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He picks up Stephen's ministry, the man that he helped to stone. It says he talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. Those are the very ones that stoned Stephen. So this is an incredible completion of the circle. Saul started at an enemy. He stoned Stephen. Now he's picking up Stephen's mantle and he almost has the same result. They try to kill him, but the brothers learn of this and they take Saul down to Caesarea and then Dr. Luke had them go to Tarsus where he waits for Barnabas' friend to bring him in a few years after Saul is able to develop more in his training. This is what I want you to see from this passage. It's hard to get into a church sometimes. It was really hard for Saul to get into the church. So if you're a believer that's having trouble getting into the church, don't get angry. Don't get upset. Don't get disillusioned with God's people. The book of Acts is honest. The Jerusalem church couldn't believe in this transformation. I want you to know that we're really committed. I'm really committed to the fact that I believe God can change anyone. And throughout all the years that I've ministered, I've said, man, I have tons of guys that are construction guys and guys that saw, and they said, Dave, if I ever came to church, the roof would cave in. And I said, no, it wouldn't. Because the church specializes in wrecks. We're all wrecks. In fact, I'd love to put that on the sign. We specialize in wrecks. Everyone is welcome. For God so loved the world that he gave it only begotten son. It doesn't say just God just so loved good, good people. God so loved all of us. But I also want us to have a faith in our church family that we believe that Saul's of Tarsus, that are persecuting, angry, zealot kind of people, they can become. This is the man that God uses more than anyone else in the first century other than Jesus to proclaim Christ. It would have never happened if it wasn't for a Barnabas. Some of you have the gift. You have a passion especially some of you that maybe moved here just a couple years ago, so you really know what it's like not to know anybody and not to be able to make connections. And I want us to pray that because we're really obeying the book of Acts, that we're reaching out to people, we take them and we help them to begin to make the connections in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, this passage closes by telling us that the Jerusalem church had a time of peace, that because Saul came to know Jesus and the great persecutor became the great proclaimer, this incredible transformation took place. 
Luke closes this section by telling us that the church was strengthened, that your Holy Spirit was adding to those that were trusting in Jesus as the Son of God. Their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. What's the synagogue? What's the setting in life that the Lord's laid on your heart that you need to start explaining your testimony, start sharing how you know Jesus, really asking the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities in your marketplace to show how Jesus is the Messiah, that he's not just a good teacher, but he is far more than that. Let's just pray together quietly. Lord, give us some of the settings. Saul used his synagogue setting. What are the opportunities? Who are some of the friends? Who are some of the business associates? Who are some of my classmates that I can really begin to do what Paul did, proclaim Jesus? Did the Lord talk to you about being a Barnabas? Did the Lord talk to you about becoming a person that in your small group, in your Sunday school, even Sunday morning, you're going to have a passion to make sure that everyone feels connected? And let me just close by stressing if you've never trusted Christ, just in your own heart, Jesus is right here. This incredible Savior that met Saul on the Damascus Road, he's right here in the presence of his Spirit. And you can say, dear Lord Jesus, I really want to connect with you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins based upon what you did for me on the cross. And I learned today that you're the Son of God, that you rose again from the dead. And one day you're going to rule over all the nations I want you to come and live in my life. I promise you, if you have that conversation with Jesus, he says, I'll come in and I'll have closeness with you. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and I'll make their life my home. I'll have fellowship with them.